No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us again here on the Sound Logic Podcast. Today we are discussing album number 59, which is called Chronicle 20 Greatest Hits by Credence Clearwater Revival. CCR. CCR. This is an interesting one, another compilation album. Um, so I'm sure we'll have some things to say about that. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. On that note, you said you really loved this music. Have you listened to this particular compilation album before? Because there, there are several CCR there are. greatest hits, but have you heard this one? This one, I, I'm pretty sure, was a uh, Columbia House selection. Uh, my hunch is that it was because of the Forrest Gump soundtrack that we've mentioned many times mm. and my appreciation yes. for a few of those tracks uh, that are on there. And so um, I, I don't remember ever getting so into this compilation that I would sit down and listen to all 20 tracks back to back. This this album, when, it, when I really listened to CDs exclusively, I would say I'd often put it on for the first five to ten and get sort of into it and then feel like okay that's enough ccr for now and switch to something <laughs> else um so it's not quite uh, elevated to the same way as um bob marley's legend where i just felt like i could listen to that if i was in the right mood i could just listen to that all the time but it, it does feel um it does feel very warm and cozy returning to this album uh, like Legend, actually, uh, it's something that I've had uh, in my collection. I actually don't know if I still own this compilation anymore, but um, but it, it felt very familiar to put it on Spotify and, and listen, aside from the annoying commercials right. that pop up now and again. How about you? Yeah. Is this a, a compilation one that you've heard before, a new one, or...? No, I have not listened to this one. However, I have one, and I've got it in front of me. It's a it's a double disc compilation that I I don't know I don't even know I don't even know where I got this one. I don't remember <laughs> buying it. I usually remember buying every CD. I think I called into a radio station once on a trivia thing or competition, and I won. And I got a pack of CDs. Okay. And I think this might have been one of them. This is a, a double disc released in 93 on Fantasy Records, which has its headquarters on Denison Street in Markham. Ah, <laughs> so this is a, right. a Canadian compilation. Um, all right. I'm looking at the tracks, and they're pretty much the same. I think I see a couple different ones. I, I, again, I, there's lots we've talked about. There's lots of different knockoff uh, compilations of every of every band greatest hit. So, anyways, yeah, two CDs. Sure, sure. So that's that's the one I know, um, and I do remember. I'm sure I listened to Chronicle, whether you had it or our good friend Steve had it. Somebody had it growing up, and when we did a lot of traveling, when we were working, picking sweet corn, having yep. long car rides or half an hour car rides twice a day to and from fields. I think it's one that we threw on there. So everything was very familiar. There was a couple that I was a little less familiar with, but it, the sound is so familiar that I felt like I may as well have owned this particular one. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think they occupy kind of a sweet spot in classic radio, classic rock radio. I mean, oh, yeah. this it's is not this is not a compilation friendly. album with uh, you know three or four radio hits and the rest are kind of like scraped together. This is a compilation album with pretty pretty much twenty songs yeah. that still get played on the radio. <laughs> yes, for for sure. Yeah, I think you could pick out maybe two or three that you won't hear as much, but the rest you yeah. hear all the time. <laughs> um, I'm sure two or three of them are on the regular daily rotation of my local classic rock radio station. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, uh, very, very familiar. And um, somewhat 
interesting that the prolific nature i mean that that was common for bands in this era but to have 20 you know really still popular greatest hits all from a four-year window just feels yeah. like worth worth pointing out i guess as we get started here <laughs> we'll we'll uh yeah we'll, we'll touch on that on that note should we just get into the details here I think it's worth it. Yep. Details, 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 details. Okay, so this album was released January 1976. I want to make a quick comment here because it just, it irks me. Every time we research a compilation album, I cannot find a date. It never has a date, <laughs> a calendar date. It only just says the month. And uh, I don't understand that, Ben. sometime in there. <laughs> but like... You can't buy an album, and then a day comes when you can buy the album. Is that not the release date? How come these compilations <laughs> just have a month? Yeah, right. I don't get it. Yeah. Does it have to do with distribution that they're they're less uh, strict about when it's like okay, it's out there, and whenever you right. want to put it in the stores? Because I remember when John Mayer's second album came out, it was coming out. They always come out. Albums come out on Tuesdays, right, Ben? Sure. Yeah. Unless it's changed recently, but it always used to be Tuesdays was when albums were released. And I was in, at the mall with a friend at university on a Sunday, and we walked by the store, and there was a display, not right at the front, but just just a little bit kind of past the first display. There was a smaller display which had John Mayer's new album, and I grabbed it and went up to the cash, and I said, this, has, this doesn't come out till Tuesday. And he kind of just looked at me like... Yeah, let's just keep that quiet. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, like, okay, well, that's just logistics. You're going to get the album's going to be ready way before it comes out. They're going to start yeah. shipping yeah. it and distributing it to all the stores. Like any other product, they're going to have it, you know, days, weeks, even months ahead. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's not going to be like you get it that morning. They're going to have it. So. If you want a bit of a jump or if you're trying to reach a monthly target or et cetera, et cetera, you start selling it. So I'm like, I grabbed it because yep. I didn't want to come back two days later. <laughs> I had yeah. Maybe with yeah. compilations, it, it's released in a different way. But anyways, I'm sorry. That was a, a bunny trail. I just, every time we do it and it's, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah. January, well, and, and we'll, we'll double down on that. Um, irrational anger by saying the Wikipedia pages are often woefully bleak as well. The, for some reason, well, the uh, the fans love to say all kinds of things about the actual albums, but when it comes to any details, it it, it just feels like uh, we've you know go check out the real album pages for those. <laughs> there's less story in a compilation album. Like it's just That's right. uh, a producer. Uh, putting together song it has nothing to do the band is very rarely involved in creating mm -hmm. a compilation like they sometimes don't even know that it's happening it's like hey we're putting out a greatest hits um mm -hmm. for you uh, whether you like it or not <laughs> so yeah there's no story there unless there's some right. sort of fight about it which sometimes there there has been um mm -hmm. different bands anyways i digress yeah. but yeah compilation yeah. albums ben <laughs> here um, we are here we are. Most of the tracks were written by John Fogarty. A couple covers or co I'm not going to list them all because there's just too many uh, to yeah. go through everyone. I think three of them were not written by him. Uh, chart position, very interesting. Uh, in 1976, when it was released, it only charted in Germany, uh, and it went to number 50. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny to look at the list because it just goes by instead of country it goes by year and what country in 2012 it did go to number 52 on the billboard 200 in the u.s that must have been a, a re-release or, or a uh anniversary release something like that sure unless something just happened and it and it shot back on a charge, which is possible based on this next stat I'm going to give you. Uh, sales are certified, which again, that's usually a lot number than the actual number, certified to almost 11 million copies sold worldwide. And Incredible. this is very important. 6,357,000 copies sold in the U.S. alone since 1991. <laughs> 
<laughs> so wow. that's when uh, SoundScan started uh, documenting sales for Billboard. It was in 1991. So since that time in the U.S., only over 6 million. So well over half just in the last 30 years, not the first uh, 15. So that's wow. pretty pretty interesting and very impressive stat. Their studio albums were only released from 68 to 72. They were banned before then, but that's their albums. Uh, so those five years in total. And they released seven albums in that time. And these hits all come from those uh, those studio albums. So they had released seven studio albums. In 72, they broke up. And it's also important to note that this was the fourth greatest hits album to be released since the band broke up in 1972. <laughs> so in those in those four years, there had already been three three uh, hits, or there was gold, like gold number one and gold number two, or gold and more gold, I think it was called. And then they did this chronicle, 20 greatest hits. Um, the tracks are lumped together. Uh, from the albums in the order of which they were released. And I like it when uh, compilation albums do this because you kind of listen through the progression of the band. Uh, yeah, a yeah. little harder to tell with this band because there's not a whole lot of evolution in terms of their sound. Number one, it was a short time period and they kept it pretty formulaic. Like it was a pretty similar sound. Uh, it works very well. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons they've been so popular over the years. It's just they found what worked and they just kept riding that money train why wouldn't you um so you can't really hear it It, as much as some other bands you can really really hear the change uh beatles are a good example pink floyd you can hear them progressing through the evolution of their sound the sound probably has the biggest jump if you if you click on if you listen to the first couple tracks and then jump to the final two or three tracks um there's a very similar kind of sound to the way the music is created, but the studio sound or maybe the instrumentation or so- something about the way that the recording is done does sound different from the beginning of this album okay. to the end. Uh, I noticed that just almost by accident, realizing okay, that's, that's that I often start at the beginning and, and lose steam partway through. And so I thought, well, I should, uh, after clicking play on it one of the times this week, I, I jumped from track two to track 18 or something and I was like oh yeah there is some some change that you don't notice when you listen to it all the way through yeah but production change uh, I think that's right yeah you're right though the sound is fairly technology yeah 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 that's good important to note that this is it's not called volume one but it is volume one because they released a volume two of Chronicle Uh, that came out much later did it not uh, I think yeah 80, 80 something 86 maybe? 86, like 86 so 10 years later and it contains uh, more songs that weren't singles or, or songs that didn't chart uh, yeah Born on the Bayou Could Go in the Smalley stuff like that um, yeah so that's kind of cool uh, we get to again one of our least favorite topics is to discuss the album artwork of compilation albums <laughs> and i gotta say this was not so bad um yeah of all the ones that some are so cheesy and some of them, the design is just totally out of left field you know you have music from the 50s and then this bizarre design elements from the 90s which make no sense right, at all right yeah so this one very uh, stylized i don't even know what you got like like old time like it's the font is like what I would expect on a on a general store at like a crossroads yeah. in the south in the 30s right just kind of that yeah painted on uh, block capital letter Creedence Clearwater Revival and then feature it's interesting featuring John Fogarty yeah uh, why does it have to say that was he had he become like the he band just, did. They broke up because of him, um, and so uh, I don't know if there was an era. I don't, it doesn't seem like it, <laughs> at least from album recordings, that they were performing without him. But but maybe they did uh, for a while after no. he left, and they, and so <laughs> they did later on. Okay, they, did, they two of the other guys uh, created a band called Creedence Clearwater Revisited, 
um, and it was without him. But that, <laughs> but this came out way before that. Um, hmm. I, yeah, I think the the drummer and the bassist did that. Um, but yeah, that's at the top, and then in the bottom, like it doesn't start to the bottom half. You have overlapping images, uh, very seventies photographic techniques here yeah of the band members but even the way they've laid this out like john fogarty is the most clear and he's at the he's the biggest like he's at the front Mm -hmm. and then it kind of they get smaller and they're kind of the color (laughs) that's like making a clear statement it's like (laughs) on uh bridge over trouble trouble water where Paul yeah. Simon is covering half of right, Garfunkel's right. face. You know, and it's like, <laughs> okay, this is like a One little on the nose. So the other, they got yeah. the same thing here. The mm-hmm. band members are behind. But, I mean, he was a primary songwriter and the founder and front man. So I guess, like, that's fine. Anyways, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah, candid shots of, of the guys playing. So I'm fine with that as opposed to something really corny and staged and with no context of the photo. Sure. Anyways. I don't want to rant too much about that because we got other stuff to talk about. But <laughs> no, I think I think it's important to point out, and I think especially as we um, recollect or remember that, similar to our friends from the band, um, a Canadian band trying to act like they're from the Deep South, these guys are all mm-hmm. West Coast Californians trying to right. um, yeah trying to grab on to something southern nostalgic and so yep. the, i think this cover choice is wise like it, it looks it's got the brown tones you know you mentioned the font choice kind of looks like a uh, sort of wild west or a southern uh yes font. yep and um you know it's almost uh, reiterating that we are really legit we you know we <laughs> we may be from the west coast the left coast but we can sing about the deep south and we know about alabama and you know things like that um, yeah yeah it, it's interesting yeah very interesting um and it's it, again i think this is fitting it's a great album cover yeah i don't know that album covers barely ever actually influence the sales of the album <laughs> sure <laughs> or not initially anyways but uh yeah it's not bad um, there are 20 tracks. Uh, they're they're all pretty good. They are. <laughs> they are all pretty good. <laughs> okay, so we're not going to read all the tracks as we normally do, but we should probably talk about some of our favorites, just so people sure. have a bit of an idea. Um, when you push play are, are there songs when they that you're looking forward to ben or when they come up you really enjoy them do you have a couple kind of just highlights for you on this album sure yeah well, i think Susie q is a fantastic song to start i know it's not one of theirs but it's got a really great kind of vibe to it and uh pressing play on that track you know this is this is an album that sets you up for what you're going to get. The rest of the album is going to sound pretty similar yes, to this. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's a great intro for that reason. Um, and, and I think it's just a great, it's a great song too. I think it, uh, it's well done. It makes me want to check out the uh, original too, to see whether they're kind yeah. of um, a straight copy and the sort of uh, Elvis mode that we talked about a few weeks ago, or, or if it's uh, really does have them sort of southern rockabilly uh flavor to it that they that they added to it suzy q just really establishes their sound mm-hmm. and is a great opener again this this compilation album was set up chronologically as to how their music was released yeah but that that's it's just got that signature ccr sound there's a number that stand out to me but they stand out for kind of different reasons uh there's a number of old guys playing music from the late 60s early 70s uh in restaurants and and bars uh you know trying to relive their their glory years and i feel like proud mary is a song that often is on those (laughs) old guy cover band set lists um because they know that people will sing along with the rolling 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 on the river um, yeah. and 
and you know there's a little splashy part in there for the drummer and there's some harmonies for all the old guys to to play a part in and uh that that's maybe the song that i listen to now i know that all these songs are from that same era they all have very similar sounds but for, for some reason maybe because they even proud proud mary took on a life of its own as sort of more of a pop song uh, uh eventually uh, uh it's elevated to something beyond ccr and uh and so when i get to that one there's always this weird like do i really like this stuff or is this just old guy music that i'm <laughs> kind of bopping along to right now <laughs> um am i jumping the gun to say uh, that's that's tina turner right tina turner i think that's right yeah I can, I can Tina Mary. She made that very, I can Tina. Yeah, made that very popular. Uh, I want to make a comment on Proud Mary. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in the situation, Ben, where you're hanging out with some people and someone's playing a guitar, and somehow it's revealed that you play guitar, and they hand it to you and they say, "Play me something." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can, I can keep up. Uh, if I join in, you know, with people, I can I can pick up a song, pick up chords pretty quick, and follow along. What I'm not very good at is having memorized tunes, especially lyrics. Uh, or, or once I hear someone start, I can keep going on the chords. But uh-huh, uh-huh. when I'm in that situation, Proud Mary is my go-to because it's one really? chord. <laughs> once <laughs> well, once you get into the verse, it's just C. Yeah. It's just C. It's just play the C chord until you get to the chorus. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. And then, it's, and then it goes G, and I think it's F, and then it's just back to C. Um, and it's really, really easy, and it's an easy song to sing. It's a song that everyone knows. So if you're really lucky, you just start playing, and if you know, people are in a good mood and maybe been into some libations, they sing along, and it takes the pressure off you. So that's my go-to, because I don't remember a lot of songs until we get going on them or if I have some music in front of me. So uh, maybe that's why those old guys are always playing that's properly. Really, it's really easy. <laughs> so if you're in that situation, Ben, and, and you're just totally you know caught off guard um just just play a c TFC. chord and start singing okay. all right yep, proud mary you're good <laughs> and then you'll probably you can just guess on the on the verses on the course the uh, city and then people will just start singing yeah looking for a man that'll work Everybody now! Big wings! <laughs> you get louder when you get to the words you know. Right, right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of good stuff here. I, I really like Cool Stop the Rain. And uh, looking out my back door has a bit of a different vibe, maybe a bit more playful, but I like that one too. And um, Hey Tonight, Tonight... Uh, I, I think is a great song too. Man, there's lots on here that I that I really, you know, I've skipped over so many others that I think are really solid. How about you? What stands out here from these uh, these twenty? Uh, Fortunate son, I have very early memories of Forrest Gump. I'm watching that a lot, and the soundtrack. Sure, yeah. The soundtrack played it. I cannot listen to Fortunate Son without seeing in my mind the helicopter coming down. Yep. Uh, yep. To the base in Vietnam and Forrest Gump, like it's just it's synonymous to me with with that. Um, uh, and the guitar sound, uh, Fortunate Son, I think has that really cool guitar sound. But the guitar at the beginning of Up Around the Bend. It's like it it's piercing almost but it's got such a it's a moment on this album that just like just screams at you and I think it shows their even though we talked with them kind of having a very similar sound and not being overly inventive they were doing things I think in the you know around right around the turn of 1970 that were I think were new and exciting and they were pushing some of the sounds it was a, a pretty crunchy uh Grunge wouldn't have been a word to use, but a, a southern fried rock yep. sound yep. that they yep. were really uh, jumping onto and helping to create. So I really like that one. Um, 
And I really like Have You Ever Seen the Rain as a, I wouldn't call it necessarily a ballad, but a bit of a slower song. Uh, great vocals. Um, vocals uh, are fantastic throughout their music, uh, the harmonies. Um, we were emailing a little bit with, uh, with your mom, Bannon, and we asked her what some of her... She was commenting that she really enjoyed our episode on Bridge Over Troubled Water, and that was an album that she really enjoyed. So we asked, well, what were some of the other bands you listened to growing up? And she said, uh, I really like Creedence Clearwater Revival before they were referred to as CCR. <laughs> and I thought that was an interesting comment. Um, yeah. But I believe she mentioned that, that she really enjoyed the harmonies and us coming, both of us and your parents and my parents coming from backgrounds of communities that knew how to sing well and sang in harmony this probably resonated mm -hmm. uh, with your mom even not probably not listening to a lot of like rock and roll but the harmonies of being something that she could connect with i found that very interesting and yeah. absolutely the harmonies are fantastic on this album it's interesting to me because john fogarty doesn't really have what i would say is uh, an exceptional voice i think it's the way he's singing that is uh so powerful and and that's not necessarily what i would assume someone like my mom is drawn to i think uh right uh she she wants to hear good vocalization and not just someone sort right. of sort of throatily screaming something wailing but he also yeah. has a musicality to it that I think is really <laughs> impressive oh, yeah. at times and, and kind of gets lost with the the rasp of his voice. Uh, he does cover a lot of uh, a pretty vast spectrum of notes on this uh, collection of songs. And he's he's pretty great. I think the, the layering that they've done to it can, I think, convince someone who's maybe a bit snobbier about... about rock music that there's some musicality here <laughs> and um yeah it actually i found myself this week i don't know if this has crossed your mind perhaps just because we were so recently listening to the rolling stones this is also classic rock 4-4 timing that's not too surprising at any given point but it's something that i like um where, whereas the Rolling Stones are also classic rock 4-4 timing, a guy that can't sing all that well, but I often don't like it. So I'm curious if you <laughs> if you can point to anything in particular here about what is it that draws us to this as opposed to the Stones? Is it the harmonies? Is it the um, a little bit more rough around the edges? I, don't, I also don't think when I'm listening to CCR that they are faking their way through it, which is funny because they are. They're, they're California boys trying to act Southern. Hmm. So they are faking, just like, hmm. you know, the Stones are faking their way through Beggar's Banquet, trying to be an Americana album. These guys are also making it up as they go along, but for some reason I'm buying it in a way that, that I'm often not with with Mick and the boys. <laughs> I don't know I don't know if that thought has crossed your mind at all while tackling this or not, but, but what are your thoughts when you hear me ramble along like that? I hadn't considered that. You make a really good point. Uh, First of all, this music is good, which is a big difference. Uh, from <laughs> just lay that down right right out of the box. <laughs> I think one of the things that has set the Stones apart is that they were really trying hard to be inventive and pushing British music outside of its comfort zone, and I think that's something that really as certainly in the eyes of some of the critics uh, made them made them very famous and uh that's risky um yeah. to do that to go way outside of your comfort zone so not every song is a bopper as they say these days as my yeah. as my family says a uh, banger uh exactly. not all the songs are bangers yeah. on on stones albums they're digging into that deep blues background that they were obviously very much interested in and they were doing new things and sometimes i listen to it and i'm not very excited uh i don't know the motivation behind john fogarty and the boys and why why exactly they made this music the way they did 
but it's very, very catchy. And mm-hmm. as much as it, that's the difference, we're listening to a compilation. So we're just listening to the radio hits. You don't hear the that's deep right. cuts. You don't, right. we talked about tempo last week. We talked about the stones. That's so right. Yeah. Most of your radio hits are going to be higher tempo. So this whole album is all almost all with the exception of a few you know have you ever seen the rain even that's not that slow uh, Mm -hmm. for a slower song it's all higher tempo you're not going to hear any of the lower tempo stuff because that's not what makes radio hits so uh i don't know i don't know how to answer your question ben but (laughs) i think that (laughs) i think i think that this is just really really catchy it's very accessible and you and I, uh, you suggested last week, perhaps the two of us, we just don't prefer the type of music that the Stones make. That's right. And I think that's a lot of what it could come down to. We cannot refute that the Stones are an incredibly talented and successful band, that they wouldn't be where they are just because they kept touring for like 50 decades Um you know, they are very, very good. We just don't happen to like them. <laughs> so maybe that makes us on the outside, but, but there's something, you know, very, this is, this is very catchy and it's very toe tappy. And again, it's all the radio hits. So you're not going to have anything else. Um, it's easy to listen to. And it's very, like we talked about, it is very formulaic. Yes. There's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's variation here and there's some different sounds, but it is formulaic. The stone songs, even though they were all in four, four, they weren't necessarily formulaic and they were definitely experimenting a bit. So that can be more challenging. Um, boy, if you want challenging, you're going to want to tune in for next week's review. <laughs> Holy moly. We'll, we'll tease that uh, again, but uh, I'm going to tease it right here. If you're, still, yeah. if you're still listening to this uh, this episode at this point, boy, you want to listen to next week's. Uh, anyways. <laughs> I, I think it's always interesting to me when um, – I no, I like that answer. Thanks. That's uh, I think that helps me process some of what I was struggling with a little bit as I was sort of feeling some – some guilt for for bashing the stones and and, and <laughs> as i just bi- like sit back and enjoy this stuff yeah some bias yeah, there yeah. um yeah that's you you thought that someone was gonna step in and say hey uh you're a hypocrite <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah something we're very uh, hypocrisy this is a time in life uh, t- time in history where the the there's some ways that you can just dig your heels in and continue to be an idiot um and i'm sure i do that every once in a while um yeah so this is an interesting compilation for many different reasons but i found it fascinating you mentioned that the uh the details section that we've got a number of tracks here that are not theirs uh and they show up on their greatest hits album. Yeah. Uh, Susie Q, I put a spell on you and I heard it through the grapevine and their right. second, uh, uh, volume two has a bunch of other covers from, from other people. Um, and in addition, a bunch of people have covered these songs. We mentioned proud Mary, all of, uh, already. Yeah. Um, but I think this, this album is full of tracks that, that people love to play. Um, and mm-hmm. not just the old guys in the bar, but uh, lots of other lots of other artists have covered this. And, and I sort of jumping through them a little bit on the Wikipedia page, and most of these say have also been covered by, and then listed a, a bunch of a bunch of prominent artists who do that. And, and that's a really yeah. fascinating element yeah. here. That not only were they including tracks that they're borrowing from people, but this sort of becomes Americana. Um, canon that other people run with uh, in their careers and I, I don't know maybe for that alone it makes me sort of rethink my critique of this uh, inclusion of a cover album or not a, a cover album, inclusion of a compilation album uh, perhaps it is a bit more worthy given that so many of these songs have held, held up in time uh, I don't know uh, yeah like we talked about Proud Mary Ike and Tina Turner just in 1971, so just two years later. And then uh, Elvis started touring and using it in his shows in 1972. Uh, sorry, in 1970. 
and then it was on some of the uh, some of the films and concert films that he did. Uh, so I, I think it's just again, it's one that captures that Americana. It talks about uh, an alluring part of the country, New Orleans, which is always just kind of a almost a mythological place uh, with mm-hmm. full of stories and uh, with a great history too. So I think it tells that story. And, and it's, I mean, like you said, they're, you, you said, you know, they're faking it, but because they're not from the South, it makes them like these storytellers. Because I think instead right. of it being a narrative, an autobiography, they're, they're weaving a tale. They're talking about these experiences, but we know that it's not their experiences. So, so they're storytellers. It puts them in the same category as you know, a Bob Dylan or even the band telling these stories of a place that they're not from. So that I think there's something exciting and special and alluring in that too. But like I said about Bob Dylan, I think anytime you go and you know many bands have done it, but when you start naming places, uh, whether it's you know, streets or rivers or towns or cities or certain buildings or establishments, people really start diving into your music because they can associate the artist becomes just like me because, oh, wait there, I've been there. I've been that the place, you know, uh, you know, working down and, hey, I worked in New Orleans. I, I, did, I worked on a, on a riverboat like, you know, uh, Bob Dylan talking about being in different bars in different cities. Like you can, people really gravitate to that because they can put themselves in their shoes. And all of a sudden you feel like you're like that artist, which is very, very special and personal. And I think that CCR does that as well. You know, born on the bayou. Ah, I was born on the bayou. That's just like me. You know, people love that. And I think that's something that they also do very well that makes this music so accessible. Not only is it super catchy, but many people can associate with those places. That's well said. Thank you. (laughs) It's unlike unlike your normal words, Mike. (laughs) No. (laughs) How kind. Well, we'll join us next time. (laughs) (laughs) Will there be a next time? (laughs) Will there be a next time? (laughs) We're quarreling. Okay, Ben, there's 20 tracks. Yeah. Pick one. Well, so there's some controversy. I guess the original LP did not have the full 11 minutes. I heard it through the grapevine. So if we really want content, we should go with that monstrosity. (laughs) But I generally have a rule against songs over five minutes long. Um, I don't know. We we both were quite uh, appreciative of Susie Q as the opener. I wonder if we pick a Fogarty song for the, the second track and if we can agree on one. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's a logical way to do it. Oh, I don't know, man. Um, Fortunate Son does have the, the yeah, uh, chorus gump tie for us. I love, oh, I love Up Around the Bend. Uh, I can't remember if it was Ed Sprague or Kelly Gruber, but one of them had Down on the Corner because they played third base the hot corner as their walk-up music as the <laughs> early great. 90s blue jay <laughs> i didn't know that that's yeah. fantastic down on the corner um oh one thing we i'll mention here is um we, we've talked about misheard uh misheard song lyrics um oh yeah bad moon rising as that classic uh there's a bathroom on the right there's a bathroom on the right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Down on down on the corner too. I don't know. I I guess fortunate son is a, is a safe one. It's just okay. a, it's a great sound, great guitar sound, and and that vocal just like just wild wild vocal just wailing. Um, he he does have an impressive wail. No, I think you know you were criticizing his his vocals a bit. I, th- I think he's a very good vocalist, and it's not smooth. It's rough and it's raspy, but he's got yeah. a range. He can sing very high. Um, the harmonies blend surprisingly well because you wouldn't think they mm-hmm. would, uh, but they do. You know, Hey Tonight yeah. and uh, um, Down on the Corner. 
it just sounds uh, like it sounds like a, a bunch of guys, you know, just getting together, you know, at a table in the corner and just. Yeah. Oh man, it's great. Yeah. Anyways, okay. What Probably do do why people want to cover them too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Again, accessibility. Like that's just the big thing for me on this. Okay, so we talked about how how much we like the songs and they're catchy uh, and they're popular, but are they still relevant? How do we how do we classify that even? What do you think? Oh boy, this is a tough one. I, I mean, the relevancy perhaps we can point to their continued presence on classic rock radio. Um, uh, you know, lots and lots of recognizable songs here. I don't think that this sound, this this is definitely uh, set in a time period. There's maybe some glimmers of the sound coming through in, in some of today's um, uh, alt-country rock Avit Brothers and, and guys like that, but um, relevancy. I, I guess I would say it's 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 pretty relevant and perhaps a little dated. It's definitely got a 60s vibe, 60s, 70s vibe, and um, yeah. I, so I'll say yes. <laughs> How about you? Okay. Uh, I'm going to say ah, this is a tough one. And relevant can be tricky. Relevant to what? For what? I think in terms of the music that's being played right now and music that's being created right now, not necessarily, although there is, you know, some kind of indie kind of bluegrassy rock that's, you know, there's movements of that. Uh, so I think uh, maybe a little bit, but still very recognizable, popular. I think even people who aren't into this music or haven't heard it, it it's just feel good music. So that makes it, uh, still relevant because people can still get down to it. You know, like it's still, I think it's still going to be a party pleaser. Even if I put this on for, you know, people, my kids age who are, you know, in their preteens, I it's, it's just, we had it on for dinner. Cause I said, Oh, I'm just going to listen to this. I think you guys will like it. And everyone was bopping along. It's lots of harmonies. My, my kids, all my family can sing. My daughter's learning how to harmonize very well. Uh, so it's easy to sing along to and find a part. So I think, yes, I will also say yes. I, I, yeah, you're right. It's dated. And I think it puts itself in a very specific place, not only in time, but also regionally. Um, it puts mm -hmm. itself in a specific place. But yeah, I think so. I think it is. It, I think if it wasn't relevant, people wouldn't listen to it anymore, right? I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. I think I think that's really the true test. We've talked about this. If if nobody's going to listen to it anymore, then it's not relevant. Or, or maybe if, if people like what's nostalgic and what they remember, but if new people won't listen to it, then the relevancy is past, yeah. or at least for that time. Um, so we've tackled uh, relevancy, and we come to somewhat of a consensus. Uh, this next one might be a little <laughs> yeah. bit messier. Uh, what about Oof. the position on this list? <laughs> well... You know, we've we've struggled with compilation albums and where do they fit on this list and should they even be on this list? We've talked about Colin Larkin's 1,000 Greatest Albums and he has like only one or two because he doesn't feel they should be. Uh, I, again, I think if, if an album is popular and successful and people want to listen to it and it brings them back to a time, I think there's there is relevancy there and it is important. And this is one that people just want to pick up. I think there's certain bands that you absolutely love the hits and you don't ever really need to go any farther than that if you don't want to. I think this is very similar to Bob Marley that millions and millions of people have bought the album, but probably most of those people don't own any other album by the artist. I think that this is probably mm. true of CCR that most people who have this don't have a studio album. I I don't. I have, like I said, a compilation. It's actually got more tracks than the 20. Um, and I don't have any other one. And I, even now, don't really have any intention of going any deeper. I really like this. It's all the hits. It's got great memories for me. 
uh, it's not got me um, clambering for more. It's got everything I need. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, if that's the case, then there's something special about it. If there's something special about it, maybe it has a place here. I'm okay with mm-hmm. it at 59. Uh, I don't need it any higher. Uh, I wouldn't be upset if it was a little lower either. Uh, it's one where it's mm-hmm. like, I think it should be on the list because these songs are so iconic. And um, I don't know that CCR, like there's some, like I think so many of the, for example, we just talked about Stone Stones albums and album names and album artwork. So iconic, you know, sticky fingers and beggars banquet. Mm-hmm. And we know those mm-hmm. names. I don't really know the names of CCR albums and i don't think that they're right. iconic right. in the same way e- even though that this music is some of the best rock music ever made it's so popular and recognizable their albums aren't so maybe that's where the compilation album on this list really shines sure. in like this and i think similarly in bob marley um we had bram on he's a huge bob marley fan he's dug deep but most people don't so mm-hmm. maybe that's yeah. where the compilation album does well on this list. So anyways, uh, that's, I'm rambling again, but, um, uh, I, I'm okay with it, but I'm not like, uh, you could have put it kind of in a huge range of positions for me and I would have been okay with it. Yeah. Well, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that compilation albums just don't belong on this full stop like that. That's not, it's not a great album Done. if it hasn't been chosen and constructed by the artists in the studio in a specific time. Um, right. And I may be able to come around to the argument that says, what about a, an artist who recorded an era before albums? You know, that might be the one exception I'd be interested in making. But even that, I think we're talking about great albums and albums are a more recent construct Let's treat them as such. Um, right. I, one thing that did make me pause as I was thinking about this song is that when you look at the track list, there are seven tracks from Cosmos Factory, their 1970 album, um, right. starting with track 10 and going all the way through track 16. You know, that's a to me, with those seven songs, that must be, I've never listened to it from top to bottom, but that must be a great album. It was right. on the yeah. original 2003 list it got axed i guess in part because this compilation album took its place um i hear what you're saying that i you know i don't know any of their album titles by name and perhaps that's enough to to nudge them off of a list of the greatest albums of all time but there are lots of great albums on this list that we've tackled so far already in the first 60 that i have not heard of before and they've turned out to be great um and i guess i lean as a more of a purist towards you know give me the greatness on the original album and uh mm-hmm. so i think mm-hmm. while i love this album i don't think it belongs here and uh it it would definitely be at the top or near the top of a greatest compilation albums list of all time. Right. But I don't yeah. think it needs to be on the list of the greatest albums of all time. Um, I, I'm sad that we don't get Cosmos factory. I'm hoping that mm. our project continues beyond 500 and we can, we can tackle that one, <laughs> uh, you know, that was left off this, a redo list and whatever list comes after 2012. Um, but, uh, so I, I guess I would say no, not, not appropriate to have it here. Right. Again, I, I'm not going to argue with that because I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I do. I, I like that it's here, but uh, yeah, I, I'm now I want to go listen to Cosmos Factory, although it'll mostly just be these hits. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I can, I can dig that. Um, yeah, it would be an interesting yeah. if to go and do this again, have this redone the whole list without any compilation albums. Um, right, right. But putting something else in its place. Uh, so we have mentioned that there's only one more album on the version of the list we're doing, and that's number 309, William the Poor Boys. 
Mm-hmm. And Cosmos Factory was number 265. And Green River was number 95, both on the 2003 list. So we lost those two. But Chronicle, as you mentioned, wasn't on either the 2003 or the coffee table book. So uh, we will talk about TCR one more time, but not for like another eight years. (laughs) Well, that wraps up another compilation album. We want to thank you for listening. And we hope you join us next time when we discuss album number 60 on Rolling Stone's Top 500. Uh, I got to say, probably the most interesting album we have tackled so far and maybe the most interesting album on the whole 500 list. Uh, yeah. Should we re- should we reveal it or just leave it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I would appreciate people giving it some time. Uh, if you are one of those regular <laughs> listeners and you've got a week between episodes. Um, unfortunately, this is not an easy album to go find. Uh, we discovered uh, the album that we are referencing coyly is, is um, Trout Mask Replica by Captain Beefheart. Uh, name or album title, neither of which were familiar to me before beginning this project. And when you search that Same. on... Uh, Spotify, you'll discover that there are no complete um, uh, listings for that album. There are some Captain Beefheart tracks, and a fan has compiled a Trout Mask replica playlist, but it's songs pulled from live recordings or B takes or other things, and it's not the actual studio album. But even saying studio album is Something that needs some explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Fortunately, Mike and I found a a pretty incredible guest, and we'll hold that until next time um, when we are with you again. Uh, That definitely is worth tuning in for, uh, especially because my hunch is that if you are like us, pressing play on that first track is going to make you say, what, how did this get on here? (laughs) And you're probably not going to make it too many more tracks before just either pulling your ears off or um, something else. Um, But we do think the conversation is a good one and uh, a worthwhile one. And and we hope that you join us again. As always, it's been really fun, my friend. And uh, I'm looking forward to capping off another decade here with uh, album number 60 next week. Should be fun. Um, Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ben. Everybody take care. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.